You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's always great to be back in the studio, and I'm extra excited for my interview this evening with Muffet McGraw. And Muffet is the head coach for the women's basketball team at Notre Dame, and she'll be with me in just a moment. Um, just a brief reminder to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors from Jefferson University Health System, Nutrisystem, Pathways Consulting, Fortis Wealth, and our, our in-house diversity watch, Hanadi Shahabuddin. And to stay up to date on all things Women to Watch, be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T, and subscribe to our newsletter. Um, you can find our lineup there and read as well some great stories from our digital contributors. And you can pick up the podcast if you miss our live show on Sunday nights. So now I'm very thrilled, um, excited to welcome to the show Muffet McGraw. Always fun to talk to somebody from Philly. I miss my cheesesteaks. Do you? <laughs> you know, there's a company that can uh, ship those to you. <laughs> I don't know how warm they'd be when they got uh, You're right. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I'm so excited to have you. And I, um, you know, I did some research and, and found out that you are indeed from Pennsylvania. You grew mm -hmm. up in Westchester, right. uh, which, boy, what a great town that has really come a long way over the years um, as far as development. And uh, you graduated from Bishop Shanahan High School. Mm -hmm. Yep. So tell me a little bit about your your younger years. And uh, my guess is you were an athlete when you were a little girl. I was. But, you know, back then with the stereotypes, girls weren't supposed to be out there with the guys. And so I was a tomboy back in my era. And it was always me and nine guys down at the playground. And <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I just loved sports. I was just I was amazed. I was the only girl that was out there. But that's where I got my start playing with the boys. And it really helped me to kind of hone my skills and get my game ready. And of course, we started with six on six basketball in grade school. I was at St. Agnes in Westchester. And uh, the pre came in and said, who wants to play? And I was the first one to raise my hand. Oh, no hesitation, huh? Not at all. Did you have um, brothers? 
I did. Four okay. brothers. And uh, it seemed like everybody in the neighborhood was a boy. So it was always guys out back, and we were playing. Uh, we, we had a little rim behind somebody's garage in the back alley. And between that and playing down at the playground, that's uh, that was where I got my start. That's awesome. I love that. That you, you know, that was innately who you were, and you just went after it. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally, you were um, a criminal justice major and uh, a basketball player at St. Joe's University. Tell me, what were your aspirations back then as a criminal justice major? I had such a great experience at St. Joe's. One of the best four-year experiences I could have had. It was perfect for me. Um, the, the size of the school, the people I met. It was the first year basketball was a varsity sport. So I went in thinking, I'm going to probably save the world. So what, what's my major? <laughs> I, I want to do something. I, I just have always really wanted to be more involved in the community. I wanted to get out and work with, you know, with kids that maybe were in trouble. And I had an internship at juvenile probation downtown, um, and it was kind of the intense probation in Philly down at the family court. So, And I ran a basketball workshop for them. So I would go down once a week and we'd uh, kind of do some things on the court and just to, you know, kind of get them um, in a more safe environment. Yeah. And at what point then did you have, um, you know, did you move from your um, wanting to go that direction and becoming a coach instead? Well, as a sociology major, arts and letters, jobs weren't plentiful at that time. And as I, my career came to an end playing basketball, I thought, I really love this game. Is there something I can do to stay in the game? How can I do that? And a coaching job opened at Archbishop Carroll. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll give that a try. And from my first practice was Sister Mary Lords was the principal who hired me. And I just knew I'd found my passion. Mm. Um You've had an extremely successful career, 905 wins, maybe more than that now. And looking at the numbers um, and record over 32 seasons, I would like to know if you have a mantra that you live by, um, you know, for the tough times. Well, you know, I think my my mantra for the last few years has really been just about enjoying the journey. I think so often we just get caught up in that day-to-day stressful um, situations from one game to the next, never really enjoying the victories, never celebrating the good things. And I just think it's so important that we can do that and to try to take it one day at a time and know that tomorrow is promised to no one. Anything can happen. We have injuries in our game. We have you know, just things happen. Things go wrong. You, you, you get a chance to fail quite often when you're in sports. And I think that's a really good thing, especially for women, because that's how we build our confidence by failing. So for me, it's, it's all about just trying to stay positive because I'm, I'm not naturally an optimistic person. I think uh, a catastrophe is waiting to happen around every corner for me. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think it's that Catholic upbringing, you know, (laughs) just never, never too happy. Um, So I really am. I'm trying to enjoy the journey. Yeah, that's so interesting to me because I think I was going to ask you, is that something that you really have to continue to work on or have you kind of conquered that? I think as we get older, we absolutely um, remind ourselves to, do, to enjoy know? the moment because life is flying by. 
It is. Yeah. And you, you do. I think I think as I age, I think I've gotten a little more outspoken. And, and I think a lot of good things come with age. There are plenty of things that we could lament. But right now, I'm, I'm trying to focus on the good things. So I, I do. I, I think it's so important that, that you look at every day and just know um, this is where I want to be. This is a, my dream job. I am exactly where I want to be. So why not enjoy it? Because I used to, we'd win the ACC championship and I'd say to the girls, hey, hey, come by the office and pick up your rings. And then I would notice that other schools would be having a big dinner or in a banquet and, you know, kind of celebrating. And I thought, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing them uh, justice really by, by just tossing out the rings as they come by the office. Maybe we ought to really go out and celebrate it more. Uh, that's a great, great reminder. And, and I do, I think um, in general, I think women struggle more with just being proud right yeah. being proud of their yeah. accomplishments and recognizing that um your your career includes coaching at archbishop carroll in the mm-hmm. 70s and then uh an assistant coach at saint joe's in the 80s um to head coach at lehigh i, I wanted to know what stands out as the greatest evolution in women's basketball um to you over that span of time well, we've come a long way in the women's game. Certainly the talent is better. I think the media attention, you know, we're still only getting 4% of media attention across the country for all women's sports, 4%. When you turn on ESPN, you're lucky to see anything about women, even though the WNBA is doing so well right now. So I, I think it's it's something that we've we, we've been battling this for, you know, 30 years, you know, since Title IX has changed opportunities for women, but it hasn't really gained us a lot of ground. So I think it's important that we continue to fight that. But the game has gotten so much better. I think we are we are getting bigger crowds. I think our Final Four is sold out for the last 26 years. I think we've had a sellout at the Final Four. The games are more exciting. Uh, I think you're seeing so much talent and and really a lot of a lot of great basketball. I think um, John Wooden used to say he at the end of his life he he enjoyed watching the women's game because it reminded him of kind of the old NBA when there was a lot of just great passing and fundamentals. And so it's a great game to watch. Yeah. But we're still trying to get to that point where where people appreciate the women's sports. Yeah, I, I, I agree. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the advertising around um, athletics and how that has a, uh, a big part of it. Stay with us during our break to hear from Dawn's Ear of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. We all put time and effort into recruiting talented colleagues, but what companies don't often give enough thought to is ensuring that we retain them. Heads up, money is generally not the main reason people leave. Here are the top things companies must be cognizant of to retain top talent. One, flexibility. Flexibility is becoming an increasingly important factor for workers. The ability to occasionally work from home from time to time or have reasonably flexible hours is something that organizations should try to incorporate if they're not already doing so. Two, professional development. Identify your top performers and know what motivates them and work together on a professional development plan that prepares them for where they want to be two to three years out. Whether it's attending professional conferences or allowing colleagues to take a professional certificate course, empowering your team to continue to grow within their careers is extraordinarily important. It shows that you are both invested in their career and you're willing to provide the resources to help them grow. Three, increased responsibility. If you have a mid-level individual on your team who shows strong promise, let them lead the next project or campaign. 
give them the opportunity to own something new from beginning to end. If you don't provide opportunities for growth, someone else will. Four, social connection. This one may seem like a no-brainer, but team outings or monthly departmental lunches really go a long way in terms of morale. Taking the time to break away from work and getting to know one another is crucial. By having personal connections with other colleagues, a bond is formed and your team will start to feel more like a family. Five, reward for performance. Your top performers want to know you value them and they should be differentiated from others. Reward them for a job well done. When a person feels valued at work, they're not only going to be a strong performer, but will be more dedicated and loyal to the company. Thanks for listening. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm so thrilled to have Muffet McGraw with me this evening, head coach of Notre Dame women's basketball. And just before the break, we were talking about the difference between uh, media exposure for women versus men, and everyone's aware of it. And I would imagine, you know, the advertising dollars um, have a, uh, a large part in why we see less for women. And I just, I guess I wanted to know, do you think we'll ever reach a point where those advertising dollars for women's sports um, will be rolling in at the same level as men? Well, I, you know, I hope so. I think you're looking at what women's soccer did this summer and to see that they actually sold more merchandise. They they made more money than the men's soccer team. They were more successful. They got a lot of attention and still were, were struggling with equal pay there. Uh, I think you look at tennis, you look at what Serena's doing, um, you look at what women's tennis in general is doing. And I think there's some parity in some sports, and that's probably one that's, that's definitely growing. I don't think men's and women's golf haven't gotten there quite yet. And, and we really hope basketball will get there at the college level for sure. I think there are a lot of places that do really well with their marketing, um, finding that niche for, that women can really appreciate. Uh, we're having trouble in women's basketball with people that sponsor both men's and women's Final Four, and they don't engage quite as much on the women's side, and that's what we're fighting. We're trying to get them to really come out and support it. And and to do that, maybe we need to move our game. Maybe we need to play on a different weekend than the men, but for somehow we've got to be able to get the sponsors out because that is the most important thing. Yeah. And you know what? Perhaps we'll see more of a change as, you know, this show is about women and leadership across all industries and all areas. So um, as we see more of that, you know, it might just organically um, kind of have an effect on uh, media and sports in general. Um Here's a question for you. I, in recruiting, Muffet, I wonder, uh, and this actually came from one of our listeners, when you're looking at, at girls to, to recruit, are you focused more on um, talent or character, skills or coachability? 
Well, that's a, that's a great question, and for us, we always talk about this because most of the kids we recruit are all they're all good players, and of course they have to be great students as well to get into Notre Dame. But for me, it is much more than talent. It is definitely about character. It is about being around people that are high moral character that have good values. Because I want a team that has a great team chemistry, and to do that, you have to be really unselfish. You have to care more about other people than you do about yourself. And so we do. We look for those intangibles. We look for leaders. We look for women who are not afraid to use their voice, who, who their teammates respect and who they respect their teammates. So, you know, I like to watch them in the game and I like to see them lose. I like to see when the ref makes a bad call, how they're going to react. Mm. I like to see them in adverse situations because everybody's great when you're scoring 20 and you're winning and things are going well. What I want to see is what are you like when things don't go your way? Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, so my belief is that winning coaches typically um, have the ability to gain the respect of their players. I mean, the players want to win for their coach when, you know, when they like them and when, you know, they really feel that they're all in it together. What do you think it is about you that has gained the respect of your players? Well, I'm very honest, and I think being from Philly has definitely helped that. <laughs> I think that most people that I know in Philly are just, they're going to get right to the point, and they're going to tell it like it is. And I appreciate when people treat me that way, and so I don't ever give um, my players a story about this is what could be. You know, I, I mean, I, I want to build them up. I want to build their confidence, but I am telling them this is what I need from you. I think I have expectations for all of my kids, and each one has an expectation and I'm telling the whole team what your expectation is. These are the three things I need from you. These are the three things I need. For, this is your job. Everybody knows what their job is, but they also know what the other person's job is. So there's no secrets. You know, there's a lot of transparency. Uh, we're, we're working together. We're trying to find the best fit to who's going to play the, together the best. And I just want to win. And I think everybody knows that because I'm incredibly competitive, but I'm going to do what it takes to win. So what do you do or how do you handle um, a player that you're just having trouble reaching or perhaps they're just, you know, struggling more from a, a, an emotional standpoint rather than um, ability? You know, and girls go through a, go through a lot of stages, and it's it's tough for women today. It is tough because we struggle with confidence. I, I think all women do. I read something that a woman's confidence peaks at age nine, so oh. I think we're we're constantly <laughs> having to build each other up, right, yeah, and to, yeah. to continue to build that confidence because we're not like guys. They're just they just think they know it all, right? They yeah. are they are so confident all the time. So it's a struggle for us, and that's probably my biggest job. And I tell my staff that we got to build their confidence. We got to we got to make them, uh, put them in a position where they're going to succeed. And we have, we need a lot of conversations. You need to listen. You need to hear. These kids today are going through a lot more because of social media, oh, uh, because yes. of so many things that go on that mm. just didn't happen back when I was playing. So right. you have to really be that shoulder they can lean on and take, let, let me know what's going on in your life. What else is happening that's affecting how you're playing here? How can we get you from where you are now to where we need you to be? What can I do to help? Yeah. And you know what? Mentioning the social media, everything is so public. Everything There's no privacy for kids today. So, you know, what is your advice for handling, particularly someone like you coaching at that level? And for these girls, the players, there's going to be all kinds of attention on them. What is your advice to them for handling that and not letting it get kind of, you know, out of control? Yeah, and it can because then I tell them people aren't getting on there 
to talk about how great you are. You know, that's yeah, that's that... a small percentage. Most of it, and a lot of it's going to be negative. So you need to not go there. Like I tell them, why do you look at all those notifications? If if they're somebody, you don't need to know all the things that are happening. Um, Twitter's not a journal. It's not a place for you to vet your emotions and to let people know how you're feeling today. Um, you know, there's social media you're trying to build your brand, um, but you can't get too involved in what everybody else is saying. And that has a little bit to do with your confidence. Um, but it's got a lot to do with just being able to say, this is who I am. Um, this is what I want. And that's, that's me. And I've got to really help them navigate that. Yeah, that's a big job. Um, we're going to go into our second break. Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for your health watch and Terry and Maggie for finance. Now, the women to watch health watch. For health watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Picture this. A beautiful fall afternoon, walking your dog on a quiet trail, a runner passes by, then in the distance you see him collapse. What would you do? Sudden cardiac arrest, a leading cause of death in the U.S. Would you know what simple steps to take to save this man's life? The answer, CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. The American Heart Association, the AHA, describes simple, effective steps for basic life support. Tap the patient on the shoulder. If he's unresponsive and not breathing, yell for help. Also, call 911. Leave your cell phone on speaker right next to the victim. The dispatcher can instruct you. Begin immediate chest compressions 100 to 120 times a minute to the beat of the song. Staying alive, staying alive. Compressions keep blood flowing to reduce heart and brain injury. Continue until help arrives and minimize interruptions. If another person arrives, they should look for an AED, automatic external defibrillator. You may need to shock the heart back into normal rhythm. Compressions, place the heel of one hand on the middle of the victim's breastbone. Place the heel of your second hand on top of the first. Lean over the victim, use your body weight to compress the victim's chest. If another rescuer is present, switch with them every two minutes to avoid fatigue. If you're alone or with other lay people, the AHA encourages chest compressions only. Do not attempt mouth to mouth. If the victim's on his back, gently turn his head to the side to prevent choking if he vomits. Jefferson now has basic life support classes for lay people called Jeff Stat. We also have CPR for infants and children for new parents through Jeff's Department of Nursing Education. I did CPR seven times in five years. The Lord had me in the right place and I was ready. Divas, be prepared. Minutes make a difference. Check the Jefferson or AHA website for a class near you. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch, Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie Carrado, and I'm from Fortis Wealth. 
Today, we're talking to Matt Topley, who is the Chief Investment Officer here at Fortis. Welcome to Women to Watch, Matt. Oh, thanks, Maggie. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We're going to ask a few questions. Um, First one being um, about volatility. We've seen so much volatility in the markets lately. What's your take on why this is happening? Yeah, so there's a a couple reasons for that. One is uh, May through October in general is a more volatile uh, period, more volatile six months than the other uh, six months of the year. And secondly, uh, October itself is one of the most volatile months. September and October are two of the most volatile months. And then, of course, you have a massive headline rush going on right now, especially with the elections. Trump versus Warren is looking like an extremely binary event, and that's looking more like like who the presidential candidates are going to be. and then we now have added in the impeachment and recession headlines that are bombarding people every day. And how are you advising clients who are nervous about the market's recent volatility? Yeah, so we coach our clients on, on a Fortis line that we use quite a bit, which is investing is a psychology game, not an IQ game. So uh, we you know, try to coach our clients to ignore the headlines, concentrate on the long term. We really protect our investors from three things. One is transactions, high fee High, high broker transactions. Number two is sexy investments like weed stocks or Bitcoin. And then number three is most important is we try to protect them from themselves because making emotional decisions around these headlines will really hurt your portfolio badly over the long term. It's good stuff. Well, Matt, I really appreciate all of your expertise and your insights. And we really appreciate you joining us on Women to Watch. Thanks so much for having me. Great job, Meg. And you can learn more about investing in the markets from Matt by visiting his blog. MattTopley.com, M-A-T-T-T-O-P-L-E-Y.com. This is Maggie, and on behalf of Terry, peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210, WPHD. Uh, Muffet, I wanted to talk to you as well about, uh, I think um, there has been a change in um, sports for kids over the years. I mean, I have two children. They both played sports, and... Often the bad behavior is not from the kids, it's from the parents. And um, I have a quote here. You said, I don't know if kids have changed. It's the parents who have changed. In what way do you think? Well, I, I think that when you go to games, you can see it for yourself, especially at the youth level, which is where we need to see the sportsmanship the most. But I think the problem with parents today is they don't let their kids fail. And I think that's a huge mistake. When something goes wrong, um, whether it's in school with a teacher or or at home or with the coach, the parents try to fix it. Um, oh, I'm not playing, or I'm not playing as much as I should, or this is you know, not, not going the way I wanted to. Mom, can you fix it? Dad, can you fix it? And they rush in and try to change the situation, whether, whether that means changing teams, changing schools, or doing something um, to change that, to make sure that their kid knows that they're special and it's never their fault. And so you never teach them about accountability. You don't teach them about mental toughness, how to handle adversity, because whenever something's gone wrong, you didn't let them battle it out and figure it out. And if you think back to when, when I was a kid, you know, I'm down at the playground with nine guys. My mom's not there fixing any problems that I'm having. <laughs> Probably all kinds of bad game, things are happening. <laughs> yes. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have that conflict resolution that you did as a kid when yeah. you're out in the neighborhood. But now, you know, you have a play date and the mom's fixing it. And, and, uh, you know, Oh, I don't like the way your daughter <laughs> behaved to my daughter. You know, uh, there's so many things that they're involved in. They just need to step back and let their kids fight through and learn. You can 
can fail. You can get back up and try it again and fix it. Yeah. You know, I, I so agree with you. And uh, my husband and I joke all the time that kids leave the house today and they have to have on their pads and their helmet and their yeah. <laughs> all, all kinds of protection just yeah. to leave the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you have a son and uh, tell me about him and how do you think your success has influenced him? Well, I thought the greatest thing about having a son was that he learned early that women could be strong leaders. Uh, I think he got to see me. He got to see my teams. He got to see women in roles that, you know, uh, were traditionally more on the men's side. So he grew up knowing, first of all, I wasn't going to be able to be at every single event that he had. I missed a lot of things, either because of traveling for recruiting or traveling for games, you know, or I was away when he was having something going on. And so he learned early, he was not really the center of the universe. And I think most kids feel that their parents try to teach each one of them, you're special, you're the center of the world, you, you know, you're everything. And so he learned that lesson early on. And I think that's a really good one to learn. And I also think I raised a feminist, which I'm very proud of. Oh, because He respects women. Um, he's married now. And he, he doesn't wait for his wife to do the cooking and the laundry and, and all those things. And he, he respects women. So I think it was it was really good for him to see all those things. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your family and your husband. I love this story um, that Matt proposed to you in a photo booth at, at Woolworths, <laughs> which I will tell my very, very first job was at Woolworths in, in Flowertown. And, um, you know, that was after a very short period of time. And and then you wore sneakers to the wedding. So I think that says a lot about you, that you're not interested in being mainstream or, you know, doing it like everyone else. Yeah, well, I've I've never have really been like anyone else, I don't think. And uh, our relationship is constantly a role reversal of, of who's doing what at the house. Um, but we we had a great, um, quick courtship. I, we met in June, uh, engaged in December, married the following October, right after my senior year. And I think it's all about timing. You know, your senior year of college, you're, you're kind of ready to meet someone. So the timing was perfect. But I wasn't a coach then. So he has really had to put up with quite a bit of uh, when he thought I would probably probably be around a little bit more and then to see the way I've been traveling and and uh, I couldn't do it without him he's such a great teammate for me you know the two of us together uh, he helps me so much he's so positive he's so optimistic he's always uh, the one that's got my back and uh, you can't do this kind of a job as a woman especially when you're trying to raise a family and you're going to be out a lot mm. uh, you need somebody that is taking care of things at home yeah your biggest fan right in he that is. in that audience so t- what tell me what it is you know, you're a busy, busy woman, you know, and uh, I know you're busy today. So people, I don't like this question, work-life balance. Um, I think it's just life. And sometimes we're working and sometimes we're playing and um, sometimes we're at home. And so tell me, I want to know what's the toughest part of your job? What What is the most stressful part? And then what is it that, that uh, is the most rewarding? You know, I think the toughest part for every woman who has either just a relationship or a family, I think it's that feeling of guilt that we we always feel like we're socialized to feel like that's my job as the mom. That's my job as the wife. Um, I need to do these things. And so when we're caught in that space where we we need to work a little harder because we're trying to make it in our job, we're we're trying to work longer hours, we're, we're having to travel, we're having to do things. 
and men just handle that better. You know, they don't have that guilt that we have to go through. They don't even have that choice of whether or not to have kids. So there's so many more emotional things that women have to deal with. And constantly, you know, I think we're constantly second guessing ourselves. We're constantly thinking, oh, I could have done that better. Or, you know, I'm not perfect. And, and women just, we just want to be perfect. You know, we want to be right for every position. We want to be the best daughter, the best mom, the best wife, the best partner. We want to be good at everything. And I think we have to be able to let things go a little bit more um, because that work-life balance is driving women out of coaching. And that's something that, you know, in order to keep them in there, we've got to figure out how do we solve that issue, which women have been fighting for years. I know. I know. Well, I, I believe we're getting closer to a lot of solutions for that. So that's the good news. Um, when we come back, I want to hear about really what's the most uh, rewarding for you. Stay with us for Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch and Hanadi for Diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch. Diversity Watch. Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. Today's prophetic ethic is an ethic that comes naturally to children, not so much for adults. This ethic is mending people's feelings, or in general terms, making people feel better. We usually encounter this situation when we come across people who are in distress, and we have no obligations to help out or even pay attention. Choosing to tune in and act in that moment out of goodwill and in full intentionality is exactly what this ethic is all about. Empathy comes naturally to children, partly because they did not encounter some of those negative experiences that adults did over the years that eventually hinder such initiatives on our side. We disengage quickly. It's not our problem, we say internally. But then we take a look at the world around us and feel sad it turned out so cold. Quote, you shall not forsake the orphan, nor shall you reprimand the beggar, end quote, states chapter 93 in the Quran. The two verses mention the orphans and the beggars, who we usually think as people that we cannot benefit from, or in other terms, we do not need. The rest of the chapter talks about how God has never abandoned Prophet Muhammad and has guarded him dearly throughout his life and hardships. As of the point being made here is when we take care of one another, we'll be taken care of too. It's all in one account. So maybe the invitation here is to realize we actually do need orphans and beggars. We need them because we ourselves need the comfort when we are in distress. And that's how the cycle goes. I invite you to take a moment today to look around you and find someone you do not need to comfort and console with a kind word, a helpful gesture, or simply a smile. Sometimes just uttering the words, it's going to be okay, makes all the difference. We've all been there. For more ethics that Muslims believe in, visit HanadiSpeaksOut.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. This week, I'll be continuing my series on the technology evolution and its positive impact on the Gen Z when it comes to social media and the Gen Z girl. For reference, Gen Z is anyone born between 1995 to mid-2000s. It's estimated the amount of users on social media sites is approximately 2.6 billion. 
the average Gen Z girl spends as much as three to four hours online a day. That's a conservative number. They use social media for a variety of things. They could be using Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. These are all the common social media sites that almost every adult knows about. Then there are sites adults are disconnected from, like Tinder, Finsta accounts, or Visco. The way they use the sites is culturally different than what I knew growing up. One tremendous difference? I wouldn't be caught dead taking a selfie with my Kodak camera and hanging it anywhere. My peers would have thought that odd and that I was conceited. Social media is the forum used by Gen Z girls to hang out and stay connected. They build their profile and create the image of how they want to be portrayed. They talk to friends, join groups, and meet new people. They express themselves, share and research information, share thoughts, ideas, news about themselves and others. They post photos of them and their friends, pets, relatives. They share where they are in the moment, like the mall, detention, sporting events, and all this information is viewed and shared by followers. They can feel less isolated and informed, learn about cultural ideas from all parts of the world, and bond with friends across the states and oceans. They can get involved with fundraising and stay up to date on current events and see what's happening locally and globally. They can learn new skills and, believe it or not, become more equipped for the modern workplace of the future. Because they don't know a world without smart devices, this connection they have through social media is an instant part of their lives. Next week, I'll talk about the negative impacts this could have. I'm Mary at PathwaysCG.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Muffet McGraw, the head coach for Notre Dame women's basketball. And um, tell me about, you know, where you feel the most rewarded in the work that you're doing. Well, I I think the most rewarding thing for a coach is to look at your players. And so you you have kids coming in and, you know, they have a lot of potential, but they have a lot of doubts, they have a lot of questions. And so as they go through the year and they have a moment in a game where they have reached their peak, they're doing exactly what they hoped they would do. They've now become that player that we all saw and we hoped that they would get to. And there's a moment when you can just tell they realize, like, I've arrived, I've done it, I've, I've achieved what I came here to achieve. And they just, they walk a little taller, you know, they have a much better feeling about them. And just to see that moment when they recognize that they've reached their potential, I think is so rewarding as a coach. And then to have them come back when they when the alums come back and they celebrate with you. And we had a final four two years ago in Columbus where we won the national championship. And we had about 40 alums up on the stage with us celebrating our victory and to see kids from all ages, you know, that came in the 90s that know the ones that played in the 2000s and the 2015. So it's just getting them all together and having them come back. Yeah. You know, one of the things I wish there were more cameras in the locker room Across all sports. I'm a huge um, sports fan. Uh, and my two favorite are football and basketball. And I happened to graduate the year Villanova won their yeah. first championship. Um, and I always love when you can see a coach in the locker room before the game giving that inspirational talk. So I wanted to ask you, you know, where do you go for inspiration before those big games? And what do you want to, you know, instill in them? 
Well, I, I hide before the game because oh. I don't want to make anyone nervous. <laughs> I'm pacing in the hallway oh. in the back. <laughs> I don't want any more They're cameras on their in own. the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when the team comes in, that's when I that's when I try to build build it up. You know, a little bravado, a little uh, little surge of confidence there, and and just talk about what they can do and and how how I believe in them because it's so important that that you you know things are going to go wrong, but you have to handle those those small bumps in the road and figure out how we're going to survive. So do you like to give, you know, perhaps the, the players themselves the opportunity to, to kind of pump each other up? Do, you know, does one of the players become a leader and do they step up and give encouragement? Yeah, they do. And I think everybody has their own way. And a lot of times it's music. You know, that's that's how a lot of them get ready for the game. They listen to different things. They put on their music. They have their dance. You know, we let the girls alone in the locker room. We say our piece and then we walk out and then they they have their time to be together to uh, do whatever rituals they have for that year. Play the song, it's, you know, the song of the year for them and, and get themselves ready. Yeah. Listen, do you think that your team um, could or should go up against a men's team? I no, I, I don't. We have male practice players. Um, they're guys that played in high school. You know, they're they're pretty good, and they come in and and they they generally beat us every single day. Um, even our championship team. I mean, they're going to come in and give us a great game because men are you know they're stronger, they're faster, they're even if they're not um, as skilled, I think as some of the women are, they're just bigger and stronger. So that would be difficult. Yeah. Okay. If you were not coaching, if that was not an option for you, what would you be doing? Well, that's a really good question. I think I would definitely be active in the community and trying to uh, trying to get the ERA passed. I think I would be working with women in some women's groups, trying to bring more equality. Is there something that you, are you a part of an organization now um, where you're you're doing that? Or I, I know you're speaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not part of any organization. I just any anything that deals with women and women's rights and trying to empower my players. And when uh, women come on campus for any reason, uh, like Dr. Condoleezza Rice was on campus, she spoke to the team. And, you know, I always bring all the women over, whether they're generals in the Army or people from NASA, anybody that comes in trying to promote women. Yeah. Tell me what you think it is. So, you know, when we are talking about and trying to uh, encourage more women to lead, in science and in, in health and business and in politics, what do you believe it is about women's character that would make a good leader? Well, I think women are great leaders because, first of all, we listen. We, we listen very well. We collaborate. Uh, we don't make unilateral decisions. We're, we're going to try to get the pulse of the group and to see, really, what's best for the company, what's best for the business, what's best for the team. So I think we lead differently than men. You know, I think that we, we have, have the confidence, but we don't have quite the um, – the arrogance, I think, sometimes uh, with that confidence. I think we're willing to listen to what, what else is going on. I think when you look at all the teams, the Fortune 500 companies that have women, and very few of them have 50% women on their board, but some just now have one woman on their board. But mm. I think when you see the companies that are led by women, they, they have um, a lot of success. And I think it's the combination. It's men working with women and trying to work together. I think that's the most successful. So what do you think men's role in all of this should be? In other words, you know, we can't just be 
ballrooms full of women cheering right. each other on, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we need men in the conversation. What do you? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me we about. Need, your... We need men. First, we need mentors um, to show us. You know, this is kind of what the job is like. But then we need advocates. We mm. need them in the room when we're not there talking about. We need to hire more women. You know, this woman I think would be great. Women are notoriously bad at applying for jobs. We need men that are in there saying, "Hey, I know this woman. I know she would be great." Because even when we interview, we're not, we're not tooting our own horn. You know, we're not standing up there telling them how great and all the things we've done. We're always about, I had a great staff. I have a great team. People have helped me, you know, how I got to where I am. So we need men. And you got to look a little harder. You know, women, they might not have as many, uh, you might not get as many resumes from women. There's a lot of talented men out there. you got to look a little harder and find that diversity, which is really important, and also finding women. Yeah. You know, I always believe that um – it's not so much a mentor, ha- having a mentor, but someone who believes in you. Mm-hmm. Was there someone in your life that that comes yeah. to mind? Jim Foster was the coach at St. Joe's when I became an assistant coach, and he was a great mentor for me. He helped me so much. But when the Notre Dame job opened, he was the one calling, saying, "You need to hire her. This is, you know, this is somebody that would be great for you." Um, when, when I went off to Lehigh, he was the one that was helping me, and was the the first recommendation. But I knew that he was somebody that was going to promote me and try to really advocate for me. But that's that's what we need is to have men do that. Yeah. There you go. A man advocating and believing in you. I love it. Yeah. Muffet, I am so appreciative of your taking time to be on the show. It was a great conversation, and I wish you much success this season. I'll be watching. Thanks, Sue. I really enjoyed it, too. Thanks. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.